So last week we talked about the first part of this bread discourse in John, which is incredibly long and repetitive. And I talked about how Jesus took what the people already knew. He took that bread that they had tasted the day before on the hillside, and he used that to draw them deeper and deeper into conversation, to kind of pique their interest and also to challenge them. And so last week we focused on the hunger part of that discourse, what it means to come to Jesus with our hungers, to see that all he asks of us is to show up hungry and to believe that he can feed us. And I gave you an assignment, and it's fine if you did not do it, but I'm going to repeat it here so that everyone has a chance to try it again this week. And that assignment was to try doing something called the daily examine, where each day, at the end of the day, you reflect on your day in God's presence, and you notice where you are still hungry and where you felt fed, where you are tasting and feeding God's life, and where you feel drained of life. And so if you did practice that this week, even just for one day, or if you didn't, I would invite you now just to bring anything that you have been noticing about your own hungers, the places where you are hungry and longing for more of something, to just bring those back to the front of your mind, because we want to show up to this text where Jesus invites us to eat, We want to show up hungry. So I invite you to do that. I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll get into the word. Lord, we are your hungry people, and we bring all of our hungers to you. We are showing up hungry, hungry for things we are aware of and hungry for things we are not aware of. And with whatever faith we have, we believe that you will feed us. Amen. Well, I wanted to start our time in this passage with actual bread, with communion bread. And that's why I have a knife and a little ball of dough here. And if you attended Incarnation before the pandemic, then you might remember that a long time ago, we actually had homemade communion bread. And volunteers would make it. We would follow this old recipe. It was a little bit different every week. I didn't actually make bread for us to eat because I thought that might not feel super comfortable for people with COVID, but I did make some dough balls. And so if kids do not have a gluten allergy and would like to grab one, I just have a pile of them over here because I'm going to be talking about what is in this dough, the way it smells, the way it feels. And so kids, it's kind of like Play-Doh and you're welcome to just grab some to smell it, to pat it, to form things with it, to do whatever you want with it. And grownups, you're welcome too. And I'm gonna be doing a little bit of that up here, very cautiously. But I wanted to start with actual bread because this is a passage that invites us to do really physical, tangible things. It invites us to eat and to taste and to feed. And so I didn't wanna start with something abstract and kind of mystical and spiritual. I wanted to start with something really tangible, something we all know, something we have all tasted, this bread. And so as we talk about this bread, I want to invite you to feed on it in your imaginations. 
to use your mind, your senses, your stories, your thoughts, to notice how every ingredient in this bread is pointing us to a bigger story. So this is my little dough ball. And the main ingredient in bread, does anybody know it? You can call it out. You might have to call it out loud because of that police siren. Flour, right. And what does flour come from? Wheat. Yeah, the main ingredient in this bread is whole wheat flour. And if you smell it, it's kind of wheaty. It has that wholesome wheat flour smell. And our minds might immediately go to all the places that wheat shows up in scripture. There's even some pictures of Jesus dealing with wheat here along the fence. How he talked about the grain of wheat that has to fall and die before it can bring life. How he and his disciples plucked heads of wheat on the Sabbath, which they were not supposed to do, and ate them. And other stories of bread, of Passover bread, of bread in the temple, all these rich stories of wheat in the life of God's people. And then you'll notice this is not dry and powdery. It's not just flour, it has water in it. And that water might remind us of so many stories from the creation of the world, from the flood, from God parting the sea to deliver his people. Stories of our baptism, stories of Jesus calming the seas and walking on water. Stories of Jesus talking about being living water or God sending water from a rock in the desert. And then it's not just flour and water, it's a little bit tacky. And that comes from oil and honey. And the oil is full of this symbolism of anointing kings and of healing. We might think of the woman who broke the flask of oil on Jesus' feet. We might think of the oil running down the king's hair and beard. And then that little tiny bit of stickiness, and if you taste it, there's nothing raw and dangerous aside from gluten in here. If you taste it, that little bit of sweetness, that comes from honey. And honey might remind us of the way God's word is talked about as sweet and abundant, like honey in our mouths. Or it might remind us of the bees that make the honey and every flower in every garden they have ever visited, and how those same bees also give us the wax in our candles, in our altar candles, and our Christ candle, and our atrium candles. All of these ingredients are combined to make bread. And then we knead the dough, we make it soft and pliable, and then we pat it into a loaf, and then we cut it. When we make these loaves at home, we cut a cross into each one. And you might notice that the wafers that we serve now on Sundays also have a cross. And that reminds us that this is not just any bread. This bread is Jesus's body, and Jesus's body was cut. It was pierced. It also makes the bread easy for the priests to break. And that reminds us that this is bread that is meant to be broken again and given and distributed 
to be broken and given again and again. So every little piece of this bread tells us a story. And it reminds us that this bread is part of a bigger story. Here, I'm battling with the wind here. And I want you to listen for a minute to just a couple sentences from that Deuteronomy reading that Caitlin read earlier. It says, remember the long way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness in order to humble you, testing you. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with flowing streams, with springs and underground waters welling up in valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land where you may eat bread without scarcity, and where you will lack nothing. I'm curious how many of those ingredients you heard in that passage. All of them are there. All of the pieces that come into our Eucharist are there in this picture of a land without scarcity, a land without lack, a land where nobody is wanting for bread. And so this is part of this bigger story, a story that begins way before any of us even way before the people of Deuteronomy, but begins back at the creation of everything, when God made wheat and soil and water and bees and olives and grapes. And when God made hungry people and made us to eat in communion with him. And then the ingredients of our bread also remind us how when that communion with God was broken, he has never stopped working to restore it. He's brought his people through the sea. He's brought them through the wilderness. And then finally, he sent himself in the person of Jesus to the cross so that the life of God could be broken and given to the world so that we could have communion with him again. And God is still breaking this bread. Jesus tells us in this passage that he is still giving his body for the life of the world. It's this story, as we said last week, of God's love made tasteable, or as Psalm 34 said, of tasting the goodness of God. So with us kind of anchored in that story, I just want to look at a few things in this passage in particular. First of all, it starts with people complaining, which is kind of also a theme in this big story of God and his people. In verse 41, the people are complaining, and they're basically saying, how can this guy be the bread of heaven? Because we know him. He's not from heaven. He's like from down the street. This is Mary and Joseph's boy. He's too ordinary. He's too common. He's too low. This is not what heaven looks like. They're showing that they don't yet understand that Jesus is all about God coming into what is ordinary and what is low and what is common and bringing the life of heaven there. Not in a remarkable way, but in such an ordinary way so that ordinary people can taste it and eat it. And then Jesus draws them further he doesn't kind of back down. He definitely doesn't soften it. He actually wades in deeper 
and he really offends them. He tells them again how he's the bread of life. He uses all of these wonderful words for what it means to be eating him and with him, like being drawn and coming, being taught, seeing and listening, abiding. And then he says this. He says, those who eat my flesh and drink my blood have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day, for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide in me and I in them. This is just unbelievably offensive to his listeners because it tells them a few things. For one, it tells them that Jesus is going to die, probably a violent death because that's really the only kind you can imagine that will spill blood and break up flesh. And it also tells them that if they are going to participate in whatever Jesus is doing, they're going to have to not just touch, but eat a dead body and drink blood. And in the whole Jewish idea of holiness and cleanliness, there is nothing farther from cleanliness or the holiness of God than a dead body. Dead bodies were so unclean that even your shadow falling on a dead body would make you unclean. And blood is expressly forgiven, not forgiven, forbidden in the Jewish law. You can't eat the blood of an animal. You certainly can't drink the blood of a person. This is all just horribly offensive and way out of bounds. And the people who are listening are in this pattern of thinking about uncleanliness and the way of death being this contaminating thing, this thing that even if your shadow touches it, even if you barely brush against it, it spreads like it's contagious. It contaminates you. And Jesus is doing something completely different here. Jesus is suddenly reversing the whole thing. Jesus has taken that way of death, all of the uncleanness of the world, everything that looks profane. He's taken it all into his flesh and put it to death on the cross. And that means that now the life of God is what's contagious. The life of God is what is spreading from Jesus, what is being distributed outward. It's this huge reversal of the way the world seemed to work. And it's all happening in this bread. And then Jesus tells us what kind of life this is that's contagious. What kind of life it is that they are going to receive through this bread and this blood. And the kind of life he describes is eternal life. It's the life of the age to come, which he says many times in this passage, he is going to bring us all to. This word eternal doesn't just mean the life that keeps going after death, although it does mean that. It's also talking about what sort of life this is. It's talking about the life of the new creation, the life of heaven. It's talking about the life of God restoring communion with his people. And the remarkable thing is, it doesn't begin somewhere on the other side of death. 
it can actually begin here and now. And all it requires of us is that we show up hungry and that we believe Jesus for our food. Jesus, in his broken body, is making it possible for us to participate in the life of God. And the way verse 56 puts it is this. Actually, sorry, this is my paraphrase of it. But it says, we are abiding in Jesus, and he is abiding in us. And this abiding idea is actually in other places in John's gospel. Earlier, Jesus told them that it was like the vine and the branches abiding in one another. We've actually got a little bit of abiding happening along the fence here, although some of it's been cut this morning. Or in the atrium, we show this abiding idea with the chalice and the blood and the wine. We talk about how we pour the blood or the, the wine in the chalice, and then we pour a little bit of water. And once they're in there together, we can't tell where the water ends and the wine begins. We can't separate them anymore. We can't tell the difference. They are abiding in one another. And that's the kind of eternal life that we get to taste in Jesus right now, this abiding, this participating in God's life now. But we know that we are only getting a foretaste of that. We know that we are not experiencing the fullness of that life all the time. We look around at our world and there is evidence everywhere that pain and death are still running rampant through God's creation. We see it all around us in the pandemic, in the wildfires, in the abuses of the church that are coming to light. And we also see it in ourselves, in the ways we just persistently numb ourselves and choose to feed on things that are not Jesus. And so we need this food and this drink. We need this taste of the life of heaven. We need to taste and see the goodness of God. We are moving toward that land that is without lack, without scarcity, but we're not there yet. And yet in the middle of it all, Jesus is good. Jesus' body is still broken and given for us. It's still being broken and given for the life of the world. And it's still taking everything that seems so common and so low, things like bees and wheat and water, and things like you and me. It's taking all of that and making it new. So let me pray for us. Father, we want to enter that land without lack, and yet we feel how far off we are. So we pray as we prayed last week that you would give us this bread of yourself and of your life always. We pray that you would help us to taste and see your goodness, to hunger for you. Amen.